y'all awake still? <laughs> so this morning I am going to be continuing on our series, Who is Jesus? or Jesus is. And I want to start by asking you a couple of questions. What does Jesus mean to you? What does hearing his name make you feel? And what do you think of when you hear Jesus' name? Maybe you think something like this image. Of a stained glass window in a church building. Or maybe something like this. Maybe even something like this. It's funny how different images emote different feelings within us. For some of us, we would look at this image and that would be what our tradition would teach us Jesus looks like. And for others, this image would create a sense of conflict because of our tradition. Maybe Jesus looks like this. Or maybe like this. Maybe even Jesus could look something like this. This painting was actually done by Jim Carrey, who I'm sure you all know of as a bit of a crazy actor who does a lot of comedy shows. But in recent years, he has gone on to do a lot of art. And I saw a video recently where he was talking about him finding his joy of painting. And he said, he said, um, let me get the quote. He said, in painting... He just finds that this is a way of expressing himself. So he's, you can tell even in his movies, he's one of those people that just has to have a creative outlet in some way, whether it's jumping around like an idiot or whether it's in painting. But he painted this picture of Jesus. And he said, in regards to when he was painting the picture, he says, the energy around Jesus is electric. Now, I'm not sure whether he would class himself as a Christian or not, but even for someone, whether they are a Christian or not, to say that something about painting Jesus is electric is really interesting, isn't it? And even when you look at the picture, there's something really interesting, although it might not be the traditional image of Jesus. There's something really interesting about this picture. Or maybe you think of Jesus as something like this. A Jewish sort of looking man um, from, from the from Israel. Um. But so far we've talked about Jesus as grace. We've talked about Jesus being faithful. But this week, I want to suggest that Jesus, in actual fact, is normal. And you're probably thinking, Jesus is anything but normal. He did loads of crazy things that we wouldn't class as normal. But from our, and for our perspective, that would be right. But what about from God's? If someone was to call you normal, would you take that as a compliment? With our society's understanding of normal, I think there's three sort of responses that each of us may have. The first is that we'll completely reject that idea. I am not normal. Who do you think you are to call me normal? And anything but normal. And actually, that's really insulting that you would dare call me normal. The second is that some of us actually strive for normal. Whether that's because we've never really felt like we fitted in, or whether maybe because of a health condition, we've always dreamed that our test results would come back as normal. Whatever that looks like for some of us, normal is what our goal is. And finally, there's those of us who accept that we're normal. 
We accept that we live very normal lives, we drive very normal cars, we live in very normal homes with relatively normal families and have a very normal job. And maybe we have moments where we dream that we might be something other than normal, but actually we realize very quickly that again, we are just normal. And each of these are really normal reactions to being told that you're normal. They're very human reactions. But this morning, I want to take some time to think about what normal might look like from God's perspective. What does God reveal through Jesus' time on earth about what is normal to him? There's an incredible story in the book of John where Jesus heals a man who's been lying at the side of a pool for 38 years. It's found in John 5, if you want to read along with me. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool in which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to get me to the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Jesus, as I'm sure some of you are aware, is a question asker. And in this story, it's no different. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read this story, I think in our culture, in our society, imagine if one of us walked up to someone who clearly had some kind of physical disability and said, do you want to get better? Do you want to be made well? I think a lot of people would think we were being very, very insensitive because who would say no to that? But Jesus goes ahead and asks the question anyway because Jesus has a different perspective on the situation. So not that I'm encouraging you to start asking questions like that, but Jesus could because he knew the Father's heart for the matter. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. I read one commentary that said, Jesus, the day Jesus healed the man at the poolside happened to be the Sabbath. But actually, I don't think anything that Jesus did just happened. I think actually everything Jesus did was completely intentional and that Jesus was fully aware of the implications of doing what he did on the Sabbath. Which makes it really interesting because not only Jesus, not only was Jesus working or doing something that might be classed as work on the Sabbath, he also asked the man that he healed, the man that had just been freed from the shame and from the stigma he carried for 38 years to break the Sabbath laws. Firstly, I think it was probably important to Jesus that this man did this. 
You know, in, the, in those days, the lifespan of men was around 40 years old. So this man had spent what to many people was a full lifetime lying beside this pool in the hopes that just once he might make it first to the pool to receive healing. That is a long time to be in one place, to be in one mindset. But when Jesus shows up, he wants to bring freedom, not just to the individual, but he wants to bring physical Sorry, not just physical, not just mental, and not just spiritual healing, but he wants to bring complete healing and wholeness to our whole beings. So by taking this mat with him, Jesus was helping him to remove the temptations that may arise to go back to what felt safe and familiar. As the man left Bethsaida, the Jewish leaders asked him why he was carrying his mat. They said, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. The man told him that he was simply obeying the orders of the man who healed him. The man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. The Jews asked him who this man was, but the man who was healed had no idea because Jesus had slipped away. Jesus didn't come to serve the world's purposes, but to serve the will of his father. And one of the things that I love when Jesus appears, he doesn't appear in limitation. When Jesus brings healing and freedom, he wants to bring release to more than just the individual who he's healed. He actually challenges what has long been held as a law, but actually was a man-made law. You see, there was a group of Jews, and, and many Jews followed this, that in an attempt to keep themselves holy and pure in God's sight, when the laws were made, they began creating rules around these laws to help them to avoid breaking the laws. So if God's boundary or God's law was here, they would create a boundary a little bit further away so that it meant if they accidentally did something that might be considered breaking the law, they had a little bit of leeway before they actually were breaking God's law. So over the years, this was passed down and expanded to the point where even picking up a mat and walking was considered work. Matthew, Matthew five seventeen tells us that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. And he's very clear about that. The law still stands. But what he did come to do was to bring freedom from religious rules and freedom from cultural demands. So what if normal for us began to look like seeing our communities transformed by compassion? In John 4, we read another story, probably familiar to many of you, about a woman at the well. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now they had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot ground of Jacob Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he as sorry, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. 
So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Jerusalem, which was in the south, up to Galilee, which was in the north. And the quickest route to do this was through Samaria. But as, as we read in the passage, this was um, slightly controversial. The Jews and the Samaritans did not have a good relationship, and they would not usually associate with one another. But Jesus was tired and thirsty after this journey, and so he waited for his disciples at the well of Jacob. And it was about noon when this Samaritan woman came to draw the water from the well. And as many of you are aware, most of us wouldn't want to be going out in the heat of the day to be drawing water from the well. But she went because she didn't want to, to be seen out in public because of what her past was and what her situation was. In this encounter with the woman at the well, Jesus actually broke three Jewish customs. First, he spoke to a woman. Second, she was a Samaritan woman. And third, he asked her to get a drink of water, which would have made him ceremoniously unclean because he would have been drinking from her cup. But we've already established Jesus wasn't concerned by keeping the Jewish customs for the sake of keeping them. Because to Jesus, what was normal was seeing this woman and knowing the potential that was within her. More than that, Jesus wanted to release this potential that he knew she had. Because we, really, we read later on in chapter 4 of John, many of the Samaritans in that time believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and they stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What if normal was not just seeing people where they are, but that each of us takes responsibility for calling out the potential we see in those around us? It doesn't have to be some big prophetic declaration, but Jesus knew the past of this woman, and he knew that he could provide her a way to be free from the guilt and shame she carried because of it. Jesus freed this woman from the shame she thought she would probably carry for the rest of her life. And in her freedom, she was able to bring freedom to many people in that time. This woman who had once been shunned by the very people she brought freedom to. This woman was once afraid of going out during the day, other than at the hottest part when she knew no one else would be around so that she wouldn't have to face anyone, was now running around the town telling her story of freedom. She was now freed and it seemed the most normal thing to tell others about her freedom and who had provided her with this freedom. 
What if normal looked like bringing freedom to those who are bound up in shame and calling them out into their potential? There's a book written about the Gospel of Matthew, and it's entitled Matthew, the Gospel of Identity. And I remember thinking that was a really interesting caption. The Gospel of Matthew is written primarily for Jews who were coming to terms with this Jesus who people were claiming was the Messiah and what the impact this was going to have on their lives. I asked you at the start to think about what Jesus means to you. And we looked at some different images of what Jesus might represent to some of us. But imagine for a minute that you were a Jew in the early, early AD years. Imagine what it was like to be a Jew when Jesus had been on earth and not long after. In the Old Testament, we learn the story of the Israelites from their enslavement in Egypt to their journey through the promised, to the promised land through the desert, from their division into northern and southern kingdoms to their enslavement in Babylon, which David talked about last week in the book of Daniel. When we get to the end of the, New Te- or the Old Testament, we arrive at what's known as the intertestamental period. Prior to Jesus' birth, the narrative of the, and the, nar- and the beginning of the narrative of the Gospels, there's approximately 400 years. And during this time, it's sometimes known as the silent years, but there was anything but silence. There was a lot happening in the lives of the Jews. During this time, the Jewish people faced dramatic social, racial, political, and religious change. The first hundred years are thought to have been a relative time of peace. The land was being ruled by a a man called Alexander the Great who allowed the Jews the freedom of religion but strongly advocated the Greek culture which he loved. And for lack of a better world, that culture was very worldly. This ruler was then preceded by a number of rulers and gradually as time went on, the Jews began to lose more and more religious freedom. Until it came to the point where one one of the rulers was so against what the Jews believed, they destroyed the temple they they worshipped in and began to use it as a pagan altar. This time was known as the Maccabean Revolt, where a man named Judas Maccabee led a revolt amongst the Jews to, to to restore the kingdom and to return the priests to their positions. This time was one of war and one of violence, and one of even infighting between the Jews. Some Jews even thought that potentially this Judas Maccabee may be the Messiah because he came and brought some freedom to them from their oppressors. But by the time Jesus was on earth, there was so much division within the Jews as they became known in different groups. So we had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and several others. Around Around 63 BC, the Jews came under Roman rule. So now the Jews not only had the Greek culture and influences to deal with, they had the Roman culture. So I hope you're beginning to see how complex the world the Jews were living in was. Like many times before in their history, they were living and had been living for hundreds of years under the rule of men who did not know God. Many thought their only hope was the coming Messiah. And I'm sure during their years of oppression, combined with their interpretation of the Torah, Jesus was not what they expected. He was very normal in comparison to what they expected. To the Pharisees, he wasn't bound by the laws that they thought he would. He didn't come and wage war and and free them from the oppressors of the Romans. 
And actually, he didn't even come and say, good job, guys, you're doing so well, you're persevering so well, you're following the rules so well. Actually, Jesus, their Messiah, seemed to spend far more time amongst the Gentiles and the sinners than he did commending the Jews. And after years of holding on to their identity as God's chosen people, they are faced with Jesus, who turns their already confused, already messed up, and already challenging world upside down. He wasn't what they expected, and now they're faced with the challenge that might even be threatening what they hold as their very identity. These early Jews had to make a decision. Whether this man who was nothing like they expected, who challenged what they thought they knew about the Messiah, was he really the Messiah? And if he is, should we really follow him? And if they chose to follow him, what would their identity look like now? Just like the Jews, we have to ask ourselves the same question. Do we allow our identity to be shaped by what culture says is normal or by what we, our personal beliefs say are normal? Or do we allow the one who created us, who shaped us and formed us to shape what normal means in our lives? Throughout Matthew's gospel, there are verses which speak to the Jews and their identity. Matthew records Jesus is teaching the people in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Jesus throughout, throughout this story reminds them of, of little, little bits, little verses that remind them of their identity. He tells them, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it, is, where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus knew what the Jews had been through. He knew what normal had come to look like for them. Normal had become persecution. Normal was an unhealthy fear of God because of man-made rules. Normal was the struggle between following what the Torah or the Bible said and what God had revealed to them about how they should live while being told at times something vastly different by the culture and those living around them. Does that sound kind of familiar? <laughs> For us, what if normal meant living the life you were created to live? Living in the fullness of what God has for you. How often is that what normal is in our lives? I don't believe Jesus came and lived on earth so that we might have an exact template or model to follow because God isn't the ha in the habit of mass production. And actually, each of us were created uniquely. Although we have things in common, how our bodies operate, we are unique and bespoke. And there never has been and never will be someone just like you. But what I do believe is part of Jesus' purpose while he was here on earth was to reveal what is possible when we're in relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because to Jesus, that was the most normal thing in the whole world. Living in relationship with his Father. The word that was coined to describe the relationship between the Trinity, because there's not such a thing in the Bible, is the word perichoresis. It's a Greek word to describe the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So peri meaning around, and koron meaning to give way or to make room. Some translate it as to like a rotation or a going around and some scholars even translate it like a dance and there's something really beautiful about that picture to me 
Imagine all members of the dance moving as one precisely and fluidly to create a meaningful work together. If you watch dancers, maybe if you're a fan of Strictly, if you watch the dancers, the professional dancers, they move in ways because they're so in tune with their partner. They know exactly what step that person's going to take before they, they take it, and they know what step they then need to take in return. It's such a beautiful connection, and it's such a beautiful thing to watch when you see a pair of professional dancers. So imagine the beauty within the Trinity's relationship as they indwell with one another. Jesus came to reveal what is possible when we live in relationship with our Heavenly Father in constant communion. For me, I want the most normal thing in my life to be living in relationship with my Father. And how different would our world look if that was what was normal? I heard this poem during the week, and some, sometimes it's credited to Nelson Mandela, but actually, when I did a bit of digging, it's, it was written originally by a lady called Marianne Williamson. It's called Our Greatest Fear. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others, other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it is in everyone. As we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically li liberates others. Jesus was unapologetically himself. What would it look like if you were unapologetically you, the way God intended and the way God designed? How often in our actions or our responses to situations do we end up shrinking back so that other people won't feel insecure around us? Or how often do we shy away from the gifts and the talents or the light that is within us because we are scared of actually standing out? We are scared of maybe being above what society says is normal. So are there things in your life that you have accepted as normal or allowed to become normal that maybe it's time to let go of? Does normal look like living confident in being authentically you and who you are? not being scared of, of the light that is within you, of the gifts that are within you, but being exactly who you were created to be? Are there things maybe in the culture or the world around us that we have accepted as normal? Have we allowed our culture even to dictate what is normal? Or do we know that Jesus, creator of the world, was the one who established what normal should be? Do we allow our relationships to be dictated by what we think they should be, or by the very one who, whose being is a relationship, revealed to us what normal friendships, families, and marriages are supposed to be like. And finally, do we allow our identity to shape what is normal? Or do we choose to allow the one who shaped and formed our identity 
tell us what normal looks like in our lives. So I'm going to ask the, the band to come up and maybe let's just take a moment and reflect on that because I know there's maybe a lot to think about for some of us. And so maybe either if you want to close your eyes or just um, bow your heads or something, just to have a moment. Because as much as we struggle with, with being who God created us to be, that is exactly what he intended for us. And so I'm just going to pray. And if you feel like you want to respond to God in any way, whether that's just in prayer personally or whether that's um, whatever that looks like for you. If you want prayer from someone, there's anyone with the, the lanyards or me, feel free to come and ask anyone. Uh, Neil, there's loads of us willing to pray and we'd love to pray with you. But yeah, let me just pray and please respond to God in whatever way um, you feel he's leading. So Father God, we thank you that you're the one that establish, establishes truth. You're the one that established our identity. You're the one that established culture. You're the one that established relationships. And so God, show us how you want that to look in our lives. Father, reveal to us what is normal for us. What should we aspire to be, Father? What in our hearts is, have we suppressed because we're scared to let it out, because we're scared that we might have to take action on it? God, what gifts are within us that are being held down or or what gifts are we insecure about God that you have given us for a purpose that you've given us to stand tall with but actually we're shrouding and hiding away from it God I've just declared in this place that there would be freedom from fear freedom from feeling like we have to fit in when we were made to stand out freedom from uncertainty and insecurities and freedom from being bound by our culture and by what the, the government here declares is, is true when you say so much more, is, when your word is truth. So God, we just say, have your way in our hearts. God, reveal, reveal what it is that you need us to do, what it is you want us to, to change or perceptions that we have to change about ourselves, about what we do. Lord, we love you and we just, we just place our lives into your hands again afresh today. God, we say, have your way. Holy Spirit, would you move, restore and refresh, bring healing, break bondage and chains that might be on our lives, Father. God, you're so good and we love you, God. We praise you in this place in Jesus' name.